Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. Hello, folks. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeff C. And today, Jen Cole and I are excited to be joined by Steve Dotto to discuss updates to YouTube ads, analytics, features. We'll also explore news stories, feature announcements from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Like, that's all the platforms. So if you don't know who Steve is, he is known as Canada's most respected geek. He spent 15 years as host and executive producer of Dotto Tech, a national syndicated TV show and entertained and educated millions of Canadians on all aspects of technology. His Dotto Tech YouTube channel is a traditional how-to and productivity stream with 266,000 subscribers. And his new channel, Steve Dotto, is focused on learning the keys to growing and ultimately monetizing a YouTube channel. Steve, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. It is my pleasure. Yeah, so we're going to dive right into it. So, Jen, take us away with some of this YouTube news that we have breaking. All right. Yeah, so we're going to start with the first thing. YouTube experiments with allowing creators to sell ad space directly to brands. So TubeFilter reported that YouTube is piloting a new program that gives creators more control over the ads that appear on their videos by letting them sell ad space directly to the brands they regularly work with. Tom Lung, YouTube's director of product management, said in a recent Creator Insider video on YouTube, we're experimenting with a new way for creators to sell advertising to brands with whom they already have a relationship. Lung didn't offer up anything specific other than acknowledging that the pilot program involves a very small, limited group of participants. And it's unclear when or if YouTube will expand the program in the coming months. So... <laughs> so it's welcome off, to our world. <laughs> this is a great new thing, and it's going to be awesome. And you might get it. Yeah, you might get it. Yeah, that, and that leads me to my first question: How do you know if you have access or not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're Google. They, yeah. they don't finish anything. They start an idea, and they run it past, and then all of a sudden, you look one day in your uh, creator studio, and you go, "Oh, I've got this." How long have I had this? <laughs> right. Um, the program has been in place since 2010, actually. So it's not that it's not that new, but rolling out and putting the opportunity into our hands is something that they're they're just starting to tell us about now. So people like NBC, et cetera, have have historically had the ability to be able to have their own advertisers. Uh, which creates a whole bunch of new benefits and it actually takes a lot of pressure away from YouTube, a lot of the social pressure, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about in a few moments. So I can't find any any reference to it in, in any of my accounts. So I'm in the dark, as most of us are. It sounds great. It's one of the holy grails mm-hmm. for us. I mean, one of the reasons I'm yeah. really bullish on podcasting personally right now is the fact that the, we are now starting to see dynamic ad insertion where we can put ads in that we determine that extend the value of our back catalog dramatically by allowing us to change the calls to action within that. So if that comes to YouTube, that would be a game changer for so many content creators. 
Uh, but there's still a lot of hurdles to overcome. Right now, they're saying that it has to come from an ad platform that has the ability to do insertion. I know I see one of the questions that you prepped me for is how long. We don't know. We don't know if there's going to be the ability to skip these ads as you do, you know, the way we have our current, you know, skippable ad format. So there's so many unknowns. It's just a kind of a tantalizing tease at this point. So let's say people are like, they're like, this is, I have no idea what this means. Is this kind of like a creator version of partner soul ads? So if we're going to like pull out and kind of look at this from, you know, people who are just getting started, is this, what they're saying is that you will be able to take and sell to specific like, let's say Evernote, you do a lot of Evernote stuff. Could yeah. you go to Evernote and go, hey, Evernote, I'm going to sell you an ad spot on my channel and this and you pay me directly kind of thing. Is that what they're talking about? Yes. Okay. Yes. I know YouTube will want their YouTube tax at some point. So it's right. going to have to go through some sort of a mechanism where they can scoop off a large percentage of the revenue. Uh, but that's exactly it. I can go to a brand and I can do it. But the exciting thing is not just that I can go to a brand because I can go to a brand right now. I can go to Evernote and I can bake it into right. my video, right? right? I can say, but then it's entrenched in the video. And we, you know, three years from now, somebody watching it is going to see that ad. And so for how-to channels like ours, that's problematic because, you know, the story changes. Mm -hmm. For newsy and uh, more topical stuff, it's not such a big deal. So that we've been able to do. But it means that we can also swap out, at least this is what I believe, is we'll be able to swap out those ads in the future. So if I'm, say, promoting my webinar Wednesday, mm -hmm. I could go through, I could actually become my own client, and I could go through and I could promote the next month's, the next week's webinar on my whole back catalog when people are looking. That sort of thing would be, as I say, would be a game changer for us if we had the ability to do that. And there's some benefits to YouTube and there's some risks. The biggest benefit is for YouTube is they've got a real problem that they have to hold a kind of, all of ads have to meet the minimum viable requirements for social acceptance. Right. So, you know, YouTube has been, we've just gone through this whole business with ads that are focused or videos that are focused on kids. So there's this whole social baseline of the ads have to fit, meet this requirement. So that shuts off so many advertisers and so many creators because some advertisers who want to do edgier products can't get into the general platform. And more importantly, creators who create content, which is considered to be at all controversial run the risk of having that dreaded demonetization on your video. So if you're running a video up and all of a sudden you say a bad word or you do something wrong, it's demonetized. And so you've just done all of this creation. Now you're, Existing baked-in advertisers still get their benefit, but all of the AdSense, all of that extra revenue, which you shouldn't rely on and you shouldn't build your business on, but if you are a good creator and you're in a right, the right spot, can be quite lucrative, um, that is all taken away. Mm. YouTube passes on the responsibility. If the content creator and the advertiser agree on the content, then YouTube has a little bit of a more solid ground to stand on to allow the ad to run. So the demonetization is not such an issue because the big issue for YouTube, although they would like us to think it's they care about who's watching, they care about who's paying. Right. And it's the advertiser's backlash when there is a public backlash to content that causes a problem. But if this advertiser, if this specific advertiser advertises this specific product, then the backlash isn't against YouTube. It's against advertiser and product. And YouTube's clear and, wow, we didn't do anything. It wasn't our fault. Right, right. That's why I think it's going to happen. 
but how it's going to look, we don't know yet. So one of the questions I wanted to bring up from uh, Lisa in the comment, she goes, uh, could Evernote approach you? So if this does roll out, would you think that more creators are going to have uh, brands actually approaching them? And that gives you a lot more. I mean, sure. Okay. Yes. And no, by the way, Steve at If Evernote wants to contact me, um, <laughs> advertisers can already target your channel. So if you, if you watch my channel, you'll see a lot of the top, products that I talk about already targeting that mm -hmm. channel and running ads on. And the algorithm's good at finding it. So it's less likely that they will do that. They, they, they reach out anyways, because they want you to do custom content and they want vertical videos. Uh, so I don't think that that's as big a benefit as it might seem on the surface because they can already buy ads on the channel. And indeed they do. They will hyper-target on different, uh, hyper-target, I don't know if that's a word, but they will focus on different content creators to reach their communities. And by the way, that's a great, hack mm -hmm. is you can target your show on your competitor's channel. Wow. <laughs> That's a little sneaky. Yeah. We're getting some great <laughs> stuff from uh, Steve today. So yeah. moving on to the next part of this kind of YouTube centric show is that YouTube creator studio features now a mid roll ads editor. So YouTube's mid roll ad editor found in the newest version of creator studio gives creators the option to manually place mid-roll ads in their videos. Creators can choose where the ads are shown using this new uh, drag-and-drop interface. So they actually, in their creator channel, just did a video to remind people about these updates. So can you explain, for once again, for people who may are not really familiar with this terminology, what mid-roll ads are and why this is a really cool feature? Well, mid-roll ads are ads which occur in the flow of your content. So they occur after, like you have an introductory ad that runs before, which we're all used to seeing. Mm -hmm. And they're even doing two often. You're getting two ads before you see a video now as they're looking to boost the revenue. Mid-roll ads are considered to be a real premium placement because they are, they're in the middle of the content. So if you're right into it, it's a premium spot. Uh, it's, it's very valuable. Now, but historically before they added the mid-roll ad editor, you could say, I will take mid-roll ads, and then YouTube would arbitrarily within the video drop the ad. And so we've all watched YouTube ads where you're going, that ad, the person talk about, and all of a sudden it's, you know, hi, I'm Ty Lopez, buy my, look at my fantastic car, right, right. whatever they have, right? right. Uh, and then you go, oh, what happened to my video? And then it's back, and the person's like literally in the middle of a word, and you, it's a, it's a, discombobulated right. process. This allows us to actually plan and set a time code in our video. As long as we are organized and we know exactly where we throw to break. So that's, you know, just like the old school TV days. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsor mm. and then give it a beat. And, and then it comes back and we're back. And let's talk about this. Now, the, <laughs> maybe a little bit embarrassing because not all videos are monetized 100%. Actually, no videos are monetized 100%. So occasionally you're going to throw to a sponsor that's not there and you're going to come back from a sponsor that wasn't there and people are going to go, what a lame creator. You can't get any sponsors. Gotcha. But that's probably better. So you, maybe you could put a little splash screen up, you know, like something fun, you know, mm -hmm. to advertise here, call Steve. This space is available, call Steve. Right. Um, you can do something like that. But it allows you to more elegantly manage your viewer's journey through your video. Yeah, that sounds like a really handy, handy tool. Uh, do you know where the, where people are going to be able to find the mid-roll editor in Creator Studio? Yeah, it's it's in the ads editor. So you in your uh, in the, I think it's in the right hand column now down there. There's a, there's your ads editor where you enable all of the advertising and, and where things occur. Uh, same area that you do your cards and your end cards, oh. your your YouTube cards and your end cards. 
Awesome. So you mentioned you. almost like using this as a storytelling feature. Like if, if you can do it right and you make it, like you said, put like, you know, this space available or whatever. Uh, I think that's a great, you know, a great idea for, for creators who are able to use this. Now, the, how does this drag and drop interface work? Is it like the in screen thing? Is it, is it, have you played with it and is it pretty simple to use? Yeah. Yeah. We, we haven't built any of our videos with logical ad breaks in yet. I haven't, we haven't got that sophisticated, but if you just drag and, and then you say, this is where it's just, it's literally, it's an interactive timeline that you basically get an insertion point and you drag to the time code where you want the ad to occur. And that's where it's, that's where it drops in. If you don't do that, YouTube will arbitrarily continue to select it. Gotcha. And then they usually do that with a pause or something. They kind of, the algorithm kind of figures it out. Is that how it works? Or do they just I throw it in? I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know the mysteries of the YouTube algorithm, but I suspect okay. they do it when you're at a peak viewership. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> so um, we'll move on to the next thing having to do with YouTube today. And so our next item is YouTube adds notifications analytics to video metrics. So YouTube notification analytics give creators access to a new set of data collected around bell notifications. The data will reveal how many subscribers received a notification and how many subscribers clicked on the bell. The data yeah. will also report on the number of video views uh, were received via bell notifications. Yes. Another place for us to get depressed. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about that. Yeah. So where do we find, where, where can we find this new data, Steve? Okay, so there's two places that you're going to find bell notification data. So for those of you that don't know, um, YouTube has become similar to Facebook in the fact that even if you subscribe, they don't always serve you the content that you're subscribed to in your newsfeed. So YouTube has added this bell notification, which means I want to be notified every time a new video is gone. And it's kind of like, uh, it's mostly, it's not even mostly. They say that you receive it, but we all know that 100% of our viewers, uh, subscribers don't get that bell notification either. And YouTube then, and so we all say, tell people to do that, to subscribe and ring that bell notification so you hear. Because why this is important is not just that the video gets watched, but you want the video watched within a certain time frame. One of the biggest keys to getting your video recommended more often on YouTube, which is where we get all of our growth from and where we get all of our views from, is momentum. In that first four hours, six hours of your video being posted, the more traffic that comes to it um, and that watches it through, the more it validates to YouTube that this is good content that they should be sharing outside of maybe the normal channels. So this is where it becomes growth opportunity. It's going to rank better in search. And overall, the video has got a healthy start in life. It's like, it's like having a, you know, a nice 12 pound baby born as opposed to something right. premature that has to struggle through its life. Right. This has right. got a good start on life. It gives these videos, that's a terrible analogy, uh, but it gives these videos a good start on life. Um, so it's important to us. So we've been in a vacuum knowing how many of our subscribers actually see it and how many notifications because we didn't know. So they, now they've added it as an analytic. Um, so it appears in two places, how many of your viewers are subscribed and how many of those have asked for notifications is in your main analytics panel. But then you have to go into each video's analytics panel in order to see how many of them were notified on that video and how many of them clicked through. And it's nascent, it's just started. So I just, I just took a look to see, and I only have a couple of videos that even have the feature on it. And they, it takes them three days mm. to get the analytics. So I can't even see what my analytics are yet, but it'll be helpful. I tend to think it'll be depressing. 
so why do you say it'll be depressing? Because you're you realize how many people don't ring the bell, or because I worked my tail off to get a couple hundred thousand subscribers, and like now, like fifteen percent of them have notifications turned on and the bell turned on, and like ten percent of them actually watch the video when they've got the notification. I don't know. I just tend to think unless you're a really hot creator. And to be fair, my channel is a how-to channel, so I don't expect people to watch every video. It's built for search as opposed to a entertainment channel that's built for people to watch each and every episode. So anyways, I'll be depressed because I'm just like that. (laughs) So the the metrics you're seeing on this are pretty much how many subscribers have viewed it from clicking that bell. Is that, those are the metrics, right? Yeah, that, okay. that's ultimately that's it. So what it's going to tell us is, is it worth us wasting the air and wasting your time to say, and make sure you ring on that notification bell because if you people ring on it and then they don't watch. <laughs> so being other than being depressed, how can this be used to improve a channel? It will tell you if your calls to action are working. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, my talk at Social Media Marketing World was how we use video to build engagement and to build a community. And how we build communities through engagement, comments through getting feedback from our community. So the more we know about how our community is interacting with our video, the more we have the ability to build community. So this information, while I make light of it because of, you know, just the the vagaries of dealing in the YouTube world, Mm -hmm. it's valuable information to us because it tells us how our communities interact with our videos. It allows us to craft videos in a different way or respond to our audience. It's a terrific tool that helps us understand. When you serve a video out to a community, you're basically just pushing it out into the great unknown. If you aren't paying attention to the comments, the analytics, knowing where people are viewing and where they're dropping off, you're basically just guessing what your audience is interested in. If you pay attention to all of these metrics, you can then craft your content to serve your community more effectively, which allows you to improve the overall quality, which makes it more valuable to the community. We've got a rising tide. Mm. Great point. Well, Timothy over in Crowdcast asked this question. How much does your release time have to do with initial immediate views? A lot of creators talk about that a lot. They will tell you what your best time is. They'll offer suggested time. Um, So pay a little bit of attention to that. But I believe that consistently publishing is the key to growing, one of the keys to growing a YouTube channel. And part of that consistency is releasing at the same time. So if you get your community recognizing when you release your content and you hit that mark each week, that's far more important than looking for that actual moment when your most viewers are engaging. Great, great advice. So moving on, there's some more YouTube analytics. And now let's creators compare metrics side by side. And so what they've done is they've upgraded their analytics capacity, uh, capabilities, allowing creators to compare multiple metrics side by side for the first time ever. And this update uh, specifically pertains to data in the deep dive section of the YouTube an- analytics dashboard. And this deep dive section appears after clicking on see more next to any of the metrics on the overview screen. Is this in the new Creator Studio, Steve? Is I mean, this yeah. is where you can go to it? Okay. These are all features in the new Creator Studio. They're uh, mothballing, getting rid of the old Creator Studio at the end of this month, I think. So these are all features that are in the new Creator Studio. Gotcha. That's awesome. What does this mean um, for creators and for marketers? Well, it's, again, if you if you pay attention to your metrics... Uh, it allows you to not to have to reload screens to go back and forth to look at this video versus that yeah. video, but you can compare real time. You can just see the, you can see the analytics on screen at the same time. So, I mean, it's, it's self-evident the value that's going to be there. Again, it's just going to make you understand more effectively how your videos are landing. And when you've made a change to recognize how those changes are being impacted. Gotcha. Or manifest. 
So I know you're, you're not just a creator, but you're a marketer. I think every creator probably has to be a marketer, but um, how will you use this, Steve, like to improve your channel performance and how can we kind of maybe model some of those, the ways that you do it? You know, I, it, it doesn't really change. It won't change what we do. It just gives us another tool, another thing to look at as we're analyzing and as we are making changes. Building a product on YouTube is, uh, how can I put it? I think YouTube is the best social media partner of all the platforms, but they're still a lousy date. You know, <laughs> they still are a, a terrible part. They, they, you know, what's the most important thing in a relationship? Communication. Absolutely. And they, they're terrible at communicating. You know, they, they try by things like this, this video, the, mm-hmm. the, the creator studio stuff that they put out. And I'm sure a lot of creators who have a more intimate relationship with YouTube will sit and talk about how fantastic these news releases and stuff are. But they're terrible at communication because it's hard to ask questions. It's hard to get feedback from. So we really kind of have to carve our own, the small creators like me anyways, we have to kind of create our own path through. So every time that they add a new feature, a new tool like this, that gives us the ability to parse out information more effectively ourselves. It just gives us that much more, uh, it just allows us to more confidently move ahead with changes. So adding these features is, I think the reporting features and stuff, very minor. The big news is this ad is if, if they allow us to start to build our own ad relationships with sponsors that are dynamic that to me changes the landscape for YouTube creators completely. It brings a whole new skill set in because typically speaking, YouTube content creators have to keep one person happy. They have to keep the audience happy. If the audience is happy, they watch the videos, they value the videos. YouTube then it cascades up because YouTube then recognizes the value and then they promote your video. You rank in search, uh, you do better. Your revenue per thousand views on ads goes up. It just, everything increases. What the dynamic ad insertion does is it allows creators to say, I to, to have a new customer. They can start to negotiate in a different way with brands, knowing that they aren't tied to that brand for the entire life of the video. So they can create video content that is good for their community and then say, hey, Toyota, this is a really good spot for you. But then six months from now, eight months from now, maybe it's not such a great spot for Toyota anymore, but maybe it's a good spot for a financial services company now to come in because things have changed or, or, or relationships have changed. So it, it it opens the door for YouTube to become more of a traditional media business for content creators. So television, you know, people that come from the television or radio production world, we always had the ability to modify who was in our in our TV show ads when we hit repeats. Mm. Right. Within syndicated, we have a deal for 13 weeks. Now we can do 13 week deals again. I find that kind of exciting. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. So, Steve, stories are a really big thing across a lot of platforms right now. What are your thoughts on YouTube stories? Does anybody watch them? (laughs) (laughs) Valid question. Here's my issue with stories overall. And I, Lisa Jenkins is right. I am a curmudgeon. <laughs> I recognize that there's value in them. Don't get me wrong. All of you people that do stories and my friends that have tremendous success in them. Yay. Good for you. I understand that they work, but they're temporary. And they're, if I'm going to spend time creating video, I want to create persistent video that delivers for me 24 hours a day, seven days a week for months or years to come. So every piece of content that we create, we create with a long tail in in mind. And I just don't see how stories serves that 
need. Now, maybe if I was a bigger company or if we if I was more entertainment based in my content and delivery, I would find more value in the stories because they do create engagement. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But content creation is hard work. Creating good content yeah. is hard work. And if you have limited bandwidth to create that content, why not create persistent content? That's my question. So consequently, I've got this negative attitude towards all stories. And my team gets mad at me. You've got to post more stories. We would do so much better. And I know we would do better. But you know what? A really good video that lives for two years on YouTube about how to do something, if I spend that amount of time doing that, that's good too. Yeah. And I know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are agreeing with you in the in the comments. Uh, yeah, story, uh, Emily is saying, yeah, it's daunting so many stories to watch. But, uh, well, you know what? We're going to be talking about stories a little bit more uh, coming up from Facebook, Instagram, I want, Twitter. I don't want to, you know, you know you'll, I won't say it, in your cornflakes. Because I know, because I recognize this value. And some people do really well with them. It's just I'm not the right guy to I'm not the right guy to teach. You 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 stepped in it there. So but we want to find out, Steve, where we can find out more about you. If people want to catch your your webinars or find out these, we've talked about your YouTube YouTube channel a lot. So where can they find uh, out more about you? I am dropping a link. Will you let me drop a link. Well, you can you say it, it out loud for the uh, podcast listeners? Yes, uh, I'm just dropping a link right now. Seeing if that works. Does that work? Yes, it did. Oh, good. I was able to drop one. So we do a weekly webinar called Webinar Wednesday, where we teach some aspect of content creation or productivity. This week, we're going to be talking about Notion coming up on Wednesday. We're going to be, Francesco D'Alessio is going to be joining us, and we're going to have an update on what's new in Notion. So we're on the productivity bandwagon. My passion project is Gray Matters with Steve Dotto. That's G-R-E-Y, Matters with Steve Dotto. It's a podcast, and it's designed to teach baby boomers and Gen Xers, who I now call Boomex, how... <laughs> to remain relevant in the digital age, how to pivot, how to baby boomers and Gen X primarily think that we overwhelmingly think that social marketing belongs to millennials and it doesn't, that we don't have a place there. Well, I'm proof of that. I won't say you're proof of that, Jeff, but you might be proof of I, that. I too. am proof of that. Yeah. And they need the encouragement. So I'm teaching them about how to build an online business, how to re-envision their career as they're facing a reluctant retirement, if they're being forced out or if it's just time to make a change. Who knows what's going on in the world today? It's it, it's my passion right now is teaching baby boomers and Gen X how to build online businesses. So uh, Gray Matters with Steve Dotto, that's, that's where I really want you to be. But join us for Webinar Wednesday. We have fun there too. Awesome. Well, thanks, Steve, for, for coming on the show and breaking down all the YouTube stuff for us. Make sure you go check out his podcast. I'm assuming it's on all the big podcast platforms. It is. And, and uh, it's persistent. It doesn't just last for a day. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not like a story. So thanks, Steve. We'll see you next time. Appreciate it. Bye now. Thanks. Have fun swarming the castle. Thanks, Steve. All right. So now for stories on stories, uh, Jen and I are going yes. to take this. Uh, first up is uh, Facebook test cross-posting Facebook stories to Instagram stories. So Jen, talk about this because this is a little confusing. Yeah, yeah, this is this is definitely confusing. But if you've already been using Instagram to post to your Facebook it's kind of, you know, it's reverse. So in 2017, Instagram added the option to cross post stories to Facebook stories. Now TechCrunch's Josh Constantine is reporting that Facebook has confirmed it is testing the option to cross post Facebook stories to Instagram. Jane Munch and Wong captured a screenshot that shows a share to Instagram toggle that's available in preview after you've created a Facebook story. So this is really interesting because personally, I've experienced lower viewership on my Facebook stories than I have on my Instagram stories. So to me, I'm thinking 
this might be a good place to start if I happen to be on Facebook mm-hmm. creating something and then want it to pop over to Instagram because my Instagram stories already performed so well. Yeah. And our uh, intrepid uh, editor in charge at large and in charge, Lisa, brought this idea up thinking that maybe this could be a move towards a single standalone stories app, which I think all of us as marketers would be like, yes, one place. That would be awesome. So I tend to agree with Lisa on this one. I think that it is a move because, you know, so where you start isn't really going to matter anymore. It's just going to be a platform. And so I think... I don't know if it'll be integrated in the app or they're just going to take one away and have everything go in one spot, but I think it's going to eventually move to that. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting because I would still want my stuff to show up like in the Facebook right. timeline though. And then of course at the top of the Instagram. So then it makes you wonder like, are they going to lead you off into another app? Yeah. I'm they're really doing out how that might work. Yeah. And I've, uh, there's a lot of the Facebook influencers I've read that thinking, you know, that they're going to, you know, figure out a way to do that because they're getting uh-huh. Facebook's getting their more of their fingers into Instagram since they bought them. So interesting yes. stuff. And this next stories thing, I, you know, you've got to take this one too, because you know, you're <laughs> all about Twitter. So tell us about this. And I'm sorry, it sounds like some, a, a medical thing that I won't go into, but it just tell them what it's called and then tell us what it is. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> all right. Well, yes, I agree. This, this is exciting. It's, it's very, yeah, I, I'm really excited about it. I think there's a lot of potential here, but Twitter tests stories like product uh, called fleets. So on March 4th, so just a couple of days ago, product lead at Twitter came on Bakepore announced the rollout of a stories like feature called fleets currently being tested only in Brazil for both iOS and Android. Like tweets, fleets are based primarily on text, but you can include videos, GIFs, or photos in them, and they'll disappear after 24 hours, cannot be retweeted, liked, or received public comments. Man, that's kind of a weird thing. Right. It's going to be, it's like what Steve was saying, it's 24 hours and it's gone. They don't want, they don't really, I mean, it's just there and gone. So um, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. The only, I'm wondering like the real purpose of how you would use these on Twitter because Twitter already moves so entirely fast. People mm-hmm. don't like hang out on content on Twitter. They're scrolling all the time. So I'm interested to find out what these are going to look like right. and how they're going to be useful to people. So Sylvia said, yes, it is not named very well. It's like that uh, <laughs> thing that helps you when you need to, you know, so it's just not a good name, but it's, there's been a report of what it looks like. These are from, uh, it's in Brazil. First of all, Twitter users in Brazil, say they see the the usual round story icon at the top of their timeline and then they're up to they're able to post video content up to 2 minutes and 20 seconds in length which is kind of an odd wow. number and then whitelisted publishers will be able to publish videos up to 10 minutes in length so wow. Jen why Brazil that just was odd to me and, <laughs> and, you know yeah I, I that's a really good question i'm not sure why brazil but you know they're testing Every, every platform is testing different things in different places right now. So the reason as to why Brazil, um, you know, that's a very good question. Maybe yeah. they have higher well, usership there. They That's one of the things that I think the article from uh, uh, com talked about that they are one of the countries that talk the most on Twitter. And that's why they're testing it there, which is really interesting. So the, one of the questions is who can see my fleets? That just sounds wrong. But when your followers, they'll be able to see your fleets at the top of their homepage. And anyone who can access your full profile will be able to see your fleets there. And if your direct messages are open, you can also react to your fleets. So 
no timeline on yet when this is going to come back or when we're going to get it here in the U.S. or in the U.K. So just like we said, it's just a test right now. Yeah. So this whole dark social thing, um, you see it a lot on Instagram and, of course, Facebook. When you when you get a fleet or somebody's responding to your fleet, it goes directly in, into your direct messages. So it's going to be the same on Twitter. You have a fleet. Somebody wants to respond to it. It's going to be via direct message. It says, or emoji. And you just kind of like Instagram or Facebook, you continue the conversation in your direct messages on dark social. Yeah. Really interesting. Pretty interesting. So if you are a in Brazil and have access to this, we would love to know what this looks like, what your thoughts are. You know, let us know if you're listening to this on the podcast or also here re-watching the replay on Crowdcast. Let us know because we want to know more about this because it's really interesting. But not yes. to be outdone, one more platform is trying out the stories <laughs> format. LinkedIn, of all places, is testing out a new stories format. Currently, it's testing stories format internally. So they're doing this with employees inside of LinkedIn, they're testing it inside of there, but they're going to start testing this among their members in the next few months. So LinkedIn head of content product, Pete Davies, wrote that LinkedIn aims for its stories to be a lighter and more casual way of interacting instead of formal messaging, ultimately develop the conversational aspect of the platform. So when I heard this, I'm like, oh no, they're trying to be, you know, LinkedIn, for a lot of us, it's becoming more and more social, more and more important. Um, right. A lot of people compared it to, I think AJ Wilcox said it was, you know, this is like, this is like what Facebook was in 20, 2006. Yeah. But when I heard it, I was like, oh, I don't, story, what do they do in stories? But <laughs> I read some other articles and they said, this is how the younger generation communicates. Yes. So it makes sense to me. So what are your thoughts, Jen? They can be just as beneficial and just as attractive as any other kind of stories. It's just with a different kind of feel. Like if you are, I think the behind the scenes is going to be more about what you're working mm -hmm. on or what team meetings look like, or, um, you know, the kind of that kind of behind the scenes, this is our office culture. This is our industry culture. This is something that I've just learned and creating stories like that, that are relevant, not necessarily fun and nonsensical, but relevant right. and valuable for your, for your LinkedIn audience. Right. I, I definitely see if you do it the right way and do it in an appropriate way in LinkedIn, that it can be kind of a lot of fun and a great way to learn more about your industry and about who's in your industry and what they're currently doing. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I think it's smart of LinkedIn to do this just because yeah. I know my kids communicate in stories. They, you know, that's yes. how they react to their friends. And, you know, so I think it's a good play to get, they don't want to turn into you know, the platform right now is considered the professional platform. That's where professionals are. Right. You know, when they're wanting to go in the workforce, that's how they're going to want to communicate. So I think it's a, it's probably yeah. a good move and we just need to uh, embrace it and move forward with it. So yes. anyway, folks, that is our show today. You know, you can always find out more details, links, and notes on everything that we discuss in our social media marketing talk show recap. It publishes every Saturday at social media examiner. You can find out more at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash news. And also, we've talked about this a couple of times that uh, you can subscribe to this as a podcast, and we'd love for you to do that at, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify with new episodes publishing every Saturday. And we'd love for you guys to leave a review for that. Our next show is Friday, March 20th uh, at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can check out our weekly show calendar at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash live show. Jen, thank you so much for coming and being an awesome co-host. You, you know, your insights and putting this all together have been super helpful and awesome as always. And I love talking with you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you all for joining us. Thank you to Steve Dotto for being here with us too. 
Yep, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye now. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show is a Social Media Examiner production. For more Social Media Insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.